The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Dr. Tammy Nelson. What has changed is how women have become the gatekeepers of open relationships. Women have become more um, of the owners of their own sexuality and their own relationship needs. And, you know, we don't settle anymore (laughs) for unhappy relationships or bad sex. And so women tend to be the gatekeepers who say, well, if we're going to open our relationship or make it something different, it's usually in heterosexual relationships. It's usually the the female that decides when it's going to start and also when it's going to end actually. And statistically that seems to be the case now. This week, I finally met Tammy Nelson. She is an author of six books, and the most recent one of them is Open Monogamy. You'll hear that she was my supervisor for grad school, but she's an internationally known sex therapist. She's a PhD. She's a brilliant woman. I'm so excited that we finally have her here on our show tonight. I just want our audience to know that neither Tessa or I preach for ethical non-monogamy or open marriage. We just want you to hear it from an expert. So let's hear it from Dr. Tammy Nelson. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Dr. Tammy Nelson, who I know from her days in Connecticut, supervised me for my master's thesis, and I get to see her in California, having just released her new book. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. So on the Open Nesters, we like to talk about this as Act 3 in all its openness and your terming your new your book is just completely caught captured my heart about not just open relationship which is kind of this whole category we'll be discussing today rather open monogamy and so i'm going to let you give us some of those definitions and yet i just want to say from my own personal point of view that this is a beautiful way to term this commitment that we have that can then expand in love. So thank you for this book. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. So why don't you take us to your personal story first, if you don't mind, Tammy, because I think for our listeners, we like to kind of know a little bit about so they know where you are and how many kids you have and kind of your space in coming into this. Yeah, well, I've been a therapist for uh, like almost 35 years, which is almost embarrassing to say. I can't believe I'm, you know, going, I've lived through my maiden years and my mother years. And now I'm going into like, I, I guess the matron years, I guess. Crone, you know, crone, crone. No, I'm avoiding the crone word. I don't like that word. Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of wisdom in being a matron or a, or a matriarch or something. I think crone is like way far off for me. Okay. But I, I really, um, uh, I love this time of my life. I have four kids. This is my second marriage. And my youngest is t- almost 22. And she uh, goes to the UC Santa Cruz and, in California. And so when she left for college and we had like launched all four kids, um, I decided really that Connecticut was way too friggin' cold. Like I know it's snowing there today. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> 
I have like, I think I just got to the point where it was so, it was so devastatingly painful to be freezing all the time. And suddenly, like my husband and I found ourselves this new freedom to make decisions with the rest of our lives. And I was born in LA. And um, so it's sort of a little bit full circle to come back here. And I moved to Santa Monica and we had a uh, like a dual a dual coast relationship, a bi-coastal life for about a year. And now we're in LA permanently. So we've been out here for a couple of years now. And this is my sixth book, Open Monogamy. And I can talk more about why I wrote this particular book, but um, it really, all my books have been a reflection of and a practice of my own relationship, not just my clients or my patients or my couples. Um, but this particular book, I interviewed like 40 couples and thruples and groups of people. Um, but I also practice all the exercises in there with my husband and my friends. And, um, you know, I feel like more of a grown up and more of like I'm in my second adolescence than I ever have. <laughs> you know, like we have a freedom to be. Uh, exploring ourselves in the same way we did in our adolescence. We just have more money and better drugs and better sex and <laughs> better, you know, uh, better head on our shoulders, I think. Deeper understanding of kind of what makes us work, right? Like from our own spaces. So, so tell us, I mean, I know that I read the whole book, so I'd like you could frame for us how you came into this, this phrase, open monogamy. And so for you personally, and how that's working, I know you had written in the book about living apart together. I guess that's this bi-coastal side. And yet, are you together now all the time? And, and how do you? Yeah. Well, I mean, circumstances have sort of uh, driven us to live in this living apart together relationship. His mom, who's in her 90s, is in New Jersey. And so he's been going back and forth even though I've been full-time in California to take care of her and sharing the end of her life care with his sisters. And in fact, he left again today to go back to New Jersey and she's 97 and she has Alzheimer's. And so that whole, um, I think of her as the crone stage and her wisdom, <laughs> that stage of our lives of, you know, how do you manage a relationship and stay connected and stay passionate, stay sexual and, have the freedom if we want to, to be in other relationships. Like how do you negotiate that? How do you talk about it? Do you, how do you manage friendships? How do you just keep that connection? If you're separated for weeks at a time, that's an interesting challenge, which is more common now for people all over the world. And we've done it all through the pandemic, which is also an interesting challenge. So what are, what, what are some of your own, personal devices other than what you've written in the book that you'd say have been successful for you and Bruce in particular and your husband. So that, that when he's apart in this particular case, do you keep hot sex life or, you know, live online? Um, are you, are you, are, is it a regular check-in or is it just happened because you're obviously we need to be intentional about it when it's at a distance? Um, well, phone sex is good. Okay. <laughs> I think that's always a good option. And I, I really think that, you know, for us that it's, it's more exciting when he comes back, you know, when we're together, 
So it's a new appreciation of the idea that attraction happens in the space in between you. You know, you long for something that is not next to you on the couch every night. And so it's this really interesting um, appreciation for a relationship that is not uh, overly domesticated. So you get to be married and and partners without um, without the uh, overabundance of <laughs> of over intimacy, and you get to miss each other. And so it's kind of like dating. It's kind of nice. Yeah, I happen to agree. I, I we have experienced that as well in our relationship. So I know exactly what you mean, and I'm I'm sure our audience also uh, experienced that as well. Yeah, I get to go to Florida for a whole month, so I'm damn excited yeah. to be in the sunshine as well. And I'm excited for her to come back because I know that renewed energy when she comes back. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like a little mini new relationship when she comes back. I am at. And yet, you know what I loved about some of your exercises and the exercises in the book are fabulous. And you were saying you use it with your husband. And I, I just to to give a kind of a little bit of a glimpse of a few of them. I mean, the ones that really resonated for me was this idea of looking at all and for the four categories of, of attention and affection and, and really going through those because all of it comes down to our time, which is what you're saying, kind of a part and the attention we give our relationship and the affection and the sex. And when we are writing our needs and our expectations during that time, and then we can come into the idea of whether we can handle open monogamy, which not everyone listening today can. So let's, um, you know, how, how do you tell somebody to step in to begin with, with their kind of their values, right? Did you want to? And, yeah, and, and I really want to know if you are really feeding, you feel that you're feeding into a trend. Uh, you see a change in the attitude, a change in the mentality, in the openness of the public as a whole that made you write this book or, or tell us about that before we go into the, uh, the deeper end of uh, the techniques. Yeah. Yeah. So first, the title open monogamy means um, being in a committed partnership with one primary partner or a central partnership that is kind of your due north and uh, but wanting a more fluid or flexible, either sexual or romantic relationships with other people. And you know, I think the concept of monogamy has changed so dramatically over the past 30 years. I mean, we haven't invented open relationships. They've been around forever. Um, but what has changed is how women have become the gatekeepers of open relationships. Women have become more um, of the owners of their own sexuality and their own relationship needs. And, you know, we don't settle anymore. <laughs> for unhappy relationships or bad sex. And so women tend to be the gatekeepers who say, well, if we're going to open our relationship or make it something different, it's usually in heterosexual relationships. It's usually the, the female that decides when it's going to start and also when it's going to end actually. And statistically that seems to be the case. Now um, in the past, people had open non-monogamy, but it was usually non-consensual. And it usually was the woman who um, was either cheated on or hid her cheating because she always had more dramatic um, complications if she, people found out she was in extramarital affairs or extra committal affairs. And so 
now we have this new concept of monogamy that's sort of morphed over time. That's just not your grandma's monogamy. <laughs> like, well, like it's, just, a, it's not the same thing, right? That's a certainly a paradigm shift for me because I did not realize that it's the woman that really drives the openness and the non-monogamy. Uh, I thought it's a, it's a somewhat of a mutual thing, and perhaps uh, the man is driving it because the man is always the one that the hunter, the one that he looks for more. So you are definitely uh, shifting my paradigms. I wonder well, if that's the same as swingers. Men might come up with the idea, but it's right. not going to happen unless she says it's going to happen. Right. That's right. That's absolutely true. She drives the ship. And the idea that I actually was amazed when I looked at your statistics about it's 57% of men are cheating and 54% of women that, that the Ashley Madison kind of survey of 5.6 million people are signing up and 15,000 a day for these. I mean, there's so much non-consensual monogamy. And so bringing things into awareness, it's like our, our, our generation can start communicating consciously. And that's, a, that's almost a spiritual journey as well. It was that section of the book I really liked about how kind of going through that openness and for people out there who maybe one or both are considering it, that's why this book is genius for that, is like the future of, of, the future of marriages and relationships are shifting no matter how we want to accept that. So since each of our partnerships are so unique and individual, and so that conscious communication of kind of going through the questioning, the meaning, almost like the searching, the seeking and being honest, even if you're going to go through a, a darker time is so interesting, kind of that creates some confusion. And this idea of this, you know, these moments that can reveal their purpose, like we love the moments that all of a sudden will reveal themselves when we have, we call this open nest and people come into our nest and we realize, wow, there was a purpose for that in different ways, not just sexually either. So this bigger openness that it's creating is kind of letting go of our one way of doing things and framing things. And I love that. And that's what's creating better, bigger relationship, creating more love. If you like this episode, you will also love other episodes on our website under the Listen tab. Scroll down to our Sex, Love, and Alternative Lifestyles category. So, I think you guys are a great example of that, you know, you can expand the love that you have together by, you know, welcoming other people in. You know, you, it's not that you actually look for other people, it's you look to be other people. So you become this other person when you're with someone else. And then you can, if you're able to integrate that into your current marriage, then you're just expanding on what you are able to share. And I, somehow you guys have figured that out. Like, I don't think it's easy for people to understand because they, they look at it as it's going to take away from what they have, which makes sense, right? That's our right. traditional view of monogamy, that there's a limited amount of love and anything outside of what we have is going to suck out all the emotion from it. And so it makes sense that, you know, people are threatened by it, but I, I agree with what you're saying and that, you know, monogamy means something different to everyone now. Like everyone has a different definition of what it means. And the idea of an open monogamy means, you know, it might just mean that you're open about talking about it. You don't ever have to do anything and talking about it could be hot for the rest of your life. And it you doesn't mean that you're anything to action. And it doesn't mean your marriage is broken because you're opening the discussion. 
Exactly. That's exactly right. Actually, it's unless you both have become 100%, it's not the time to open your marriage. So it's just the discussion. That's what's so amazing, bringing light to this hidden agenda that we sometimes suppress. And so how, would you, how do you suggest that people start with that? I mean, I know it's in your book, but if you want to give some, some of that stepping in exercise to see if they're made for monogamy, I mean, that's also listed in the book. But if you want to just go through that with us. Well, I think, first of all, you know, people are listening. The idea of this new kind of monogamy is that the, the real number one value or your do north, your true north, is that everything is based on honesty and integrity, that monogamy is not synonymous with morality. You know, it's not like, okay, if I never sleep with anyone else, then we have, we've obeyed our promise to each other. The promise is really that we're going to be really honest. And that's what gives our relationship integrity. That's the promise. So that in that way, you don't have to trade your partner in for someone else. You know, like maybe there's nothing wrong with your relationship. It's if there's something Difficult, maybe it's the agreement that has to be changed, not your partner that has to be changed. <laughs> and that's a really powerful thing. So maybe the conversation starts with like, what what are we implicitly like not just making assumptions about our agreement? Like what what does monogamy mean to you? Maybe it means um that you know, I'm gonna uh, we're never gonna tell each other how often we masturbate. Like sometimes I get a couple who one will walk in on the other one masturbating to pornography and they'll feel like, oh my God, you're cheating on me. And the other one will be like, are you kidding? I've been doing this since I was 12. Like This has nothing to do with you. And so, but that's something they've never talked about as something that's part of their monogamy agreement. You know, and the other person might say, well, I thought you were going to stop masturbating when we got married and I was going to be the only one that was going to touch you. And the other person says, yeah, but you never touch me. So you know, like, how is that monogamy? I, you know, there's an implicit assumption that if you marry someone, it's, it's for partly for a sexual partner. So if you stop having sex, but you don't want them to have sex with anyone else, that's like holding people hostage to a monogamy agreement. So all those conversations about what does monogamy mean to us? I think that's a great place to start. It doesn't have to mean that you're going to change anything. You're just going to be open about what your assumptions are. Because you'd be surprised how often they don't match. That's what I call the monogamy gap. Right. This gap in our understanding about what we each think is monogamy. So opening the discussion is really the first step for anything in even considering uh, uh, non-monogamy. And and it's a strength. It's a strength rather than a weakness to be able to be vulnerable. And that's what I would love our listeners to know, that even if they're not ready or they think that the other one's not ready, it's like we, when we come into our lives with more curiosity and courage, which are two of the areas I talk about a lot, it kind of breaks open this idea that we're going to know how it's going to go. And we're willing to step into that uncertainty. I mean, now we've learned more than ever that there's so much uncertainty. Why do we want to create, I mean, there's a lot of divorce because of the pandemic and we know that why, why not use this opportunity instead of throwing it all away to consider how to talk in new ways. I mean, it's a lot of couples are being threatened by that because they always say, well, you know what? We've got married when we were 24 and 25, and now it's uh, 25 years later or whatever years later. What happened if you fall in love with somebody else? I mean, that is a, as a, as a real as it can be. All of a sudden, your primary partner fall in love with 
the one that he is uh, think, thinking that he's secondary. I mean, how do people even, I mean, that's a real threat. And how do you suggest some time to deal with that? Well, you know, the reality is it's always a threat, whether you're talking about it or not, <laughs> whether it's whether it's an open conversation or not. I mean, you mentioned Ashley Madison. That's a website for people to meet people who are married. They have now have over 70 million members worldwide since the pandemic, 70 million. And Ernst and Young went in there to make sure that everyone was real. And they found that, like, there's one woman for every man on there. Like, it's a real thing really happening. And. <laughs> Oh, and they seven million was just this year, probably during the pandemic. I think it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. 70 million. I know. And I, I recently worked with them to, to try to get them to start a, um, an option for people to, uh, list themselves as being in an open relationship instead of just looking for a partner to cheat with. And so they did a survey that just came out where like, I think like, uh, 2,900 people answered. Um, like, have you, do you want to ask your partner to be in an open relationship? And 76% of people said, yes, they would love to ask their partner to be in an open relationship, but they were nervous about bringing up the conversation. They didn't know how to ask. And that some of the people on there are in an open relationship and that the majority of them were happy and fulfilled and they were totally um, okay with it. And actually more women than men are happy in open relationships too, which sort of goes along with my theory. <laughs> so, you know, the threat is there of, oh, of course, of meeting someone else and of disturbing the, you know, the, the uh, commitment that you have, but that threat is always there. So now you're just talking about it in a more honest and open way around like, what will we do if that happened? How will we talk about it? What are the boundaries around it? What's our red line if something does happen? Do we have veto power if we feel threatened? Like, how will we handle it if it begins to be an issue? Instead of just waiting for it to wallop us on in the back of the head <laughs> and one of us to feel really betrayed. Right. You get to work it out in advance. It's like it's like anything about in, in health in our lives. It's when we start looking at it with more awareness and be a uh, being woke. I mean, just saying, okay, what's really going on here? And if we cannot take it so seriously, we take our lives so seriously and we can be more playful about it. I mean, we spend so much time thinking that we have to like, hone this down and get it right and play is that we're not going to get it right. I mean, just but the idea that we're going to be unique individuals and we're going to play with how it works and or doesn't work for us. And that's the dissection that I feel is so important. Like just Offering that up to people to not to, to to look at their fear. I mean, you. I think you talk about that in your book, like how those fears come up. So anything you want to say about that? Yeah, I call that like preventing, you know, like vent all those fears first, because, you know, anything that you want to say that you think could be problematic, like, let's talk about it now. I call that like the what if conversations, like what if what if this happened? What is the potential problem but what's the potential like bonus like what could how could this help us and so in all the scenarios that you think could be problematic there's probably also a payoff so for instance like i had a couple today and one of their potential problems that they were afraid of was like well what if um you decide that you want to see this person uh in at our house when I'm not home, like that could really be problematic because that's my boundary. 
um, and I wouldn't like them in my space. And so I asked them, well, what would be the payoff of that? And, and they both looked at each other and they said, well, it would save us a lot of money on hotels. <laughs> you know, like, you know they, they really kind of work together around their whole idea of finances. Like how, what credit card are we going to put stuff on if you take this person out to dinner and are you going to spend more money on them? It brought up this whole great conversation on, on finances and open relationships. And they'd never talked about money before. And suddenly there was this whole payoff around this open monogamy relationship around money. And suddenly they felt much less stressed about their relationship. It was interesting. Well, at least they have uh, opened up the discussion for it. I, you know, you wrote this incredible book, which I yet to read out of the experiences, out of the therapies that you have uh, provided many couples. Can you maybe give us an example of a couple that was considering it and give us a success story that's from opening from considering to open their relationship to a successful a non-monogamy and ethical non-monogamy, which was the final result. Can, do you have a story like that? Oh yeah, there's hundreds of stories. And I, but I also have stories of people that it didn't work for. So yes. I don't want to sound too Pollyanna-ish about this because I think, you know, for some people, the experiment is fun and then you also can shut it down. Like I think some people are afraid if they take, they take it out of the box, then they, it'll never, it'll never be, be what it was, or you can't put it back or, and I just want to throw that out there that, you know, there. Absolutely. I mean, I, I would like to focus on the positive and the, and the, the possibility, what if it can work rather than mm-hmm. what if it wouldn't work. So. And I, yeah. And I even think that for the people that shut it down, um, there were so many benefits that a lot of, a lot of open relationships that I've worked with, are sort of developmental. You know, we tell people when they first start dating, you should date around, don't settle down, like be poly, basically, like be open and then settle down with one person, you know, especially when you have kids and you have a family, like be monogamous. And then like for you guys, what you're talking about is like when the kids grow up and you get this freedom, then there's this sort of expression, like the second adolescence where you look around and go, oh, okay, I want to have fun again and be date around and be with other people. And then you get old and you get tired and you're like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> right. Well, there's a vacuum created when the kids leave the house. I mean, there's more time, there's more focus and couples start focusing on each other. So that's where really we feel that the open nesters, our audience really looking to perhaps start a conversation, start a discussion of non-monogamy. So. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you guys are still attractive. You still have energy you know, we live so much longer and they're so much healthier. And, you know, it, this wasn't, we weren't like that 50 or hundred years ago. So a lot of the couples that I see fall into the, that are successful at it, fall into those two age groups, either, either their kids are young, but um, not babies. So they're around seven, which is actually the most common age for divorce but they're old enough to like tie their shoes, put themselves on the bus, make their own breakfast. And suddenly the parents look up and like, oh my God, I want to feel alive again. And this happened a lot during the pandemic when they were like, okay, I'm so sick of this domestic life and I, I need to feel something again. And so they open their relationship to sort of find themselves and get some excitement or new relationship energy. And then the second group age group is usually people in their middle age who you know, are finding themselves in this new freedom time. So just recently I had a couple who, 
he it was a heterosexual couple and he had always been bisexual, but he had sort of put those desires away to have a really traditional family life. And um, he really loved his wife and loved his kids and loved his life and then got to the open nester age and said, you know what, I, I, I kind of want to go back there and experience those, those relationships before I die. Time is running out. Yeah. Time is running out. Exactly. And um, so his feeling was like, well, I'm still relatively attractive and I still have some sexual function in me. They talked about it. And one of the things I talk about in my book is to have conversations around your red lines and your boundaries that rules, rules automatically are meant to be broken just by the sound of it. (laughs) And rules tend to like parentify the relationship. Like this is what you can do and what you can't do. And now I have to be your parent and follow up to make sure you don't break any of those rules. And that never works because when you parentify a relationship, then that totally desexualizes it because I don't want to be your mother and make sure you don't break the rules. And you came home late and you didn't call me and, you know, rules. I don't like the sound of that. So we talk about the red lines, which is like what you absolutely cannot do. Like this is just going to break down the whole system versus boundaries, which is like, this is what's important to me, but boundaries by their nature are, you know, somewhat fluid. Like I might change my mind. I don't know, but that's about me, not about you. You have your and it could come from my own programming until I bring it to awareness and discuss it. So the way you said about the payoff, or or the way you all of a sudden bring light to things, and that's what these questions in the book do: is how do we calmly bring light to things, and and how do we just integrate that? And so I'd like to shift back to you and to your kids because I do feel like our kids. We came out to each of our kids and. And people were always interested in that, you know, one at a time that I did that with my own children. And I wonder with what your kids have observed of you and Bruce and, and how, how in general, how the, how they feel about that at this watching you guys navigate life at, as open nesters. Well, it's very funny because especially since the book came out and they know a lot of our friends and, you know, we used to have a lot of parties and a lot of, um, and I am, uh, I just finished the MDMA assisted therapy training. So I'm doing like psychedelic therapy and doing retreats for people. And so my kids were like, oh, you're definitely in your second adolescence. And <laughs> I guess it's like, you know, they come home and there's people sleeping all over the house and they like roll their <laughs> eyes like, what is going on here? Like, I love it. Mom is working. <laughs> right. They're like, there's like, you know, <laughs> blankets hanging from the ceiling there's drums everywhere. <laughs> we have a fire pit and a hot tub. And, you know, Sounds like our house. Sounds like our house is right. It's exactly. Right. Exactly. And, I, you know, I think a lot of people in our situations are similar. Lucky if they're lucky to have those experiences. And now I'm in L.A. and everybody's like that. Right. And so my kids now with the new book about open relationships have asked us really directly, like, are you sleeping with those friends? Like, who are you sleeping with? What's going on with this crowd? So recently in a book signing event, I was really honest with my kids and said, look, you know, uh, Bruce and I have a very open relationship. Like we talk openly about everything and every possibility and basically everything's on the table. But to be honest, right now, I'm exhausted. (laughs) I have no time. I, this is, this book just came out working all the time. I teach and speak all the time. And we're going back and forth to take care of elderly parents. Like I barely have time for him, much less other people. 
So they appreciate, you know, sort of the update on the developments of where we are. And they appreciate that we'll be honest with them too. And I asked them during the book, the kids are 22, 26, uh, 28, and 31. And I've asked them, you know, how do you guys feel about open relationships? And are you in an open relationship? And interestingly, um, except for the 22-year-old, all the older kids are like, no way in hell would I be in an open relationship. Wow. <laughs> not into it. Boyfriend's not into it. Husband's not into it. One's married. Um, the youngest is, um, well, I shouldn't say that. One of them is openly bisexual and has had committed relationships with both men and women. Um, but even even they are not interested in really being wildly open. Like they're all somewhat traditional about that, which I think is fascinating. I don't know if that's like a, uh, their age, you know, goes back to that developmental thing. They're at that age of creating, you know, a life partner and a family or what? I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about that. And That's interesting. Kids. I mean, our kids are a little bit younger and, and only one got married and they're definitely they're very open about the fact that you can't stay one way. And I've had, you know, those kind of conversations and one is, uh, is, is queer and poly and always been poly and she'll probably stay that way or maybe go through stages, as we say. So there's no one right or wrong. And that's what I love about openness is that it dictates the idea that we can renegotiate, like you're talking about, not just create new agreements, but create new ways of being open. And that can sometimes mean that we decide this is a time for us to focus on ourselves and can't do that right now. So I think that, that that discussion is so important, the fluidity of the discussion. Well, yeah, kids, well kids is exactly the, the pivot point in, in all of our podcasts because open nesting means that the kids have left the nest. So now you can have sex in the living room, in the kitchen, and everywhere you want. I think that in ma the majority of people that are uh, trying to open their relationship, it's a hush-hush, don't, don't tell the kids we cannot really talk about it yet. But I think there's a certain sense of freedom that we felt once we were able to talk to our kids freely about uh, non-monogamy and about our relationship. It was easier to explain the characters in our life. It was easier to explain why his mom is out today and why his dad is not coming home tonight or whatever that is. So it was easier as far as communication. And it has some kind of a sense of freedom. That's, that's my take on that. And I wanted to ask you, it's interesting because it's still only, I think you say 5% are actually out as being an open monogamy or even any kind of ethical non-monogamy. Mm -hmm. So I do wonder, there could there be just so many more that we don't know about? You, I mean, I, I think the redefining marriage in general and the redefining the future of, of, of partnership is something I'd love to kind of just get your last, you know, last couple of minutes, your view about how we see the future of that. And yeah, I mean, I, I used to, um, you know, when I, when I was practicing in Connecticut, I had an office that was in the suburbs and an office that was closer to the city. And I used to see what I called suburban monogamy, where people were the head of the PTA, very conservative couples. And on the weekends, they were all having sex with all their friends. You know, like they get babysitters and everyone was a free for all in the in the rumpus room in the basement. You know, it was like um, really, really common. And it wasn't just for people that were sort of like, you know, the one percenters that had the time and the 
and the money to go to fancy sex parties and live in their pleasure all the time. It was really common for people to be expanding their um, sexual repertoire, particularly if they were all doing it together. It wasn't as common for people to split off and do it on their own. You know, now that I live really in a city and there's such a wide range of people, it really strikes me how much the culture in general has shifted even since the pandemic, but over the past 10 years around the conversation around open relationships. It's so much more in the news. It's so much more in the media. It's so much more in television and in movies. You know, the conversation has just become um, more part of the uh, repertoire. And even to the point of uh, going to the opposite end of the spectrum where there's some shaming uh, around monogamous people, monogamous couples, like, oh, you're monogamous. Like that's so yesterday. <laughs> and I see that in the field of sex and couples therapists. Um, I see that on P- in P- younger generations of people who um, don't want to commit and use their attachment issues as an excuse to say, well, I'm just, I just wasn't born monogamous. I want to say, well, you weren't born to eat with a fork either, but you learned <laughs> Like, you know, monogamy is a choice, whatever kind of monogamy you want, you have to practice. It's like meditation or, or yoga. It's a, it's a practice that you choose every day and you get better at it. But do you think it's a trend or a movement that is really exists in urban cities like LA, like New York, Uh, or is it uh, real, uh, just like because you drive a Volkswagen, you all of a sudden you see a lot of Volkswagens on the road. It, it, which one is it? Well, I mean, the, I've interviewed people from all walks of life, from all political, <laughs> political states, uh, red and blue. And um, I see it everywhere. I think it's happening everywhere. I think the difference is um, how people form community. So... If you are forming a community where you go to other um, parties with other people, or if you feel isolated and you have a little pod of people, um, if you tend to attach to one or two other people, but you hide it, you know, if you're in a community where your kids are all little, I think it's, I think it's spreading into the nomenclature, but it has more to do with how comfortable you are with the coming out process, depending on your community. And I don't think it's going to change. I think we learned a lot during the pandemic about how to live in a village and the need for your own pod, the need to outsource different parts of our relationship. You know, if Ashley Madison has taught us anything, it's that people have outside relationships to stay in their marriage, not to break up their marriage. And so you might need to outsource someone for sex. You might need to outsource someone to help you homeschool your kids. You might need someone else to help you, you know, with your housework. Like we need a village now. And I think if, if, If the past couple of years have taught us anything, it's, it's that relationships are our priority and that one person may not fill all our needs. We may have known that intellectually, but boy, had we had to learn that. And I think it's shifted for everyone. If your listeners want to email me directly, I can give them a free, like a short ebook with like 37 questions, like how to open your, your monogamy as a, like a 
a kickoff if they want. Like wonderful, some, wonderful. A few starter questions. So my email, and you can put this in your show notes if you prefer, but my email is Tammy at drtammynelson.com. So it's T-A-M-M-Y at D-R Tammy Nelson, T-A-M-M-Y-N-E-L-S-O-N.com. If you are interested in the book, Open Monogamy, a guide to co-creating your ideal relationship agreement, you can go to openmonogamy.com. Or you can go to my website, drtammynelson.com, or anywhere books are sold, Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or the publisher is Sounds True Publishing. Wonderful. Terrific. Thank you. Very insightful. We appreciate your time. I know it's very valuable. Uh, you gave us a great advice, and you may have uh, begun a, uh, th- that some couples will start the conversation between themselves, and that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you. And thank you guys for doing this. You're a great power of example for a lot of people out there. Before we go into our summary of this episode, I wanted to tell you about next week's episode with an incredible author and wise man named Dr. Joshua Coleman about his book called Terms of Estrangement. If you have kids that, or you know people that have kids who they disconnected as adults. I made all the mistakes that I see parents commonly make when their child does this, which was to defend, to explain, to deny. But eventually I learned to just listen and empathize and more importantly, to take responsibility and really care about her experience and make that much more what was prioritized, not my experience, but, you know, or how hurt or wronged I feel, however true that was, but more about how hurt and neglected or unloved she felt, which, you know, as any parent, it's the last thing any of us, it's the worst thing any parent can hear. If you got this far, you are probably okay or interested in sex. So I'm really glad that we can summarize it for you now. Well, uh, (laughs) our our point of view, right? Tommy, uh, Dr. Tommy Nelson really walk the walk and talk the talk. She is, uh, in her book, Open Monogamy, really give it to you the basic, the basic. And when we say it's not your grandma monogamy, you understand while listening to this episode why we mean that. What I love about, there's so many aspects I wanted to talk about, but... You know, marriage is partly, partially most of us get in it for the, some some degree of some sex and, and the sexual chemistry. Obviously, that's how we fall in love. And it's so interesting how she, you know, frames this because if you're not interested in sex anymore, is one person holding the other one back? Wasn't that actually part of the yeah, agreement? Just hostage. like giving space. Right. I mean, we talked about this before, like skiing or what did you add some other example? Well, travel. If like I don't that. like you to travel any longer, does that mean that you cannot travel any longer? Especially if I like traveling or I can stay exactly. with my friends in places that give me another side of myself, which is exactly what I'm about to do in Florida. And it's just so interesting. I'll be there for a month. And that's a long time, especially from our, not our grandmother's monogamy, not even my father's, obviously, because he said to me, even last year, I was away for just two weeks. And this year, it'll be a month. And he's going to like, you're leaving your husband? I mean, that's actually the way he thinks about it. So it's just so uniquely different what our generation talks about. Yeah, monogamy is relative. And hopefully, this episode instigated some talk among couples about it. I mean, as, as Dr. Tommy Nelson said, you don't have to do anything about it. Sometimes just talking about it is really the beginning of it all. 
And, and we just have so many implicit assumptions in our relationships of all kinds. And I think the brilliance of the way we can live a wiser life, a richer life, a deeper and more fulfilling life is getting our relationships into good communication. And the Ashley Madison statistics are just mind-boggling to me. 70 million uh, people are on Ashley Madison cheating. And uh, when they serve it, she said 2,900 of them that 76% of them said that they would love to be in an open relationship, but they are afraid to even bring the subject. And they, ha- and they have outside relationships, as, as, as Tammy mentioned, this is so good, in order to stay in the marriage and then not to, out- to outsource things. So think about the village concepts again. Like, we got here to this discussion. We need so many people in a longer life where our, where our needs and our desires and our authenticity continue to rise and, and hopefully our sense of social good. And there's a way for us to elevate a, a different people through relationships. And that's what I love about the concept that I'm th- makes me think about. Right. And again, it's about the boundaries and who has the veto power and how it works because rules are meant to be broken. <laughs> I love that too. Yeah, we got a lot out of this episode. Thank you, Tammy. And for all of our listeners out there, uh, if you have any questions or you want to write to Tammy, she left the information. I, I'm definitely going to look at those 37 questions with you again, Amir, right? We always want right. to keep getting better. And, and we, we I, again, I said it at the beginning of the episode and I'm going to say it again and I really want to drive that point on. We are not preaching that you should be in a non-monogamous relationship. We're not telling you that you should do this or the other. Here on the Open Nestor Podcast, we want to bring you an objective opinion, and you can make your own decisions. Uh, If this is for you or not, and just start the conversation with your spouse if you have to, or not. It doesn't really matter. Just because, yeah, the open nest is a, about making choices every day. And and that's the idea is that we're choosing new lives for ourselves. So we're hoping that this gives you, I know it's a new frame compared to most monogamy, but I really am excited that you're, you're even listening. Right. Thank and you. you can find some more, opus, <laughs> uh, we can find more episodes on that subject on our website, theopennesters.com, that double N in the middle, S at the end. Go to the website, leave us a comment. Let us know if there's anyone that you think of that might be a good candidate to interview on this particular platform. And uh, find us on social media as well, Instagram and Facebook. We have also a closed group that we have discussions starting there that are really, really cool. We'd love to have your input. And please share this episode and any episodes you like on The Open Nesters with your friends. And thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Tessa and I would like to thank you for making our podcast so relevant and so important for so many people and still number 18 in relationship on Good Pods. Good Pods, that's it. (laughs) Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. Thank you all and ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. 
For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com. 